You're listening to the second in a series of podcasts entitled Remember and Resist, Borders, Solidarity and the Essex 39. The discussion you're about to hear was held at an event in London in February 2020, organised by the Remember the Essex 39 campaign, who came together in 2019 after the deaths of 39 Vietnamese migrants, whose bodies were found in the back of a lorry in Essex trying to get into the UK. Our vision is a world without borders or prisons, and until now we've been primarily organising around issues of border violence facing East and Southeast Asian migrant communities. We stand in resistance to the hostile environment and state violence, and in solidarity with those most directly impacted. If you'd like more information on the work we're doing or to get involved, you can email us at rememberthesx 39 at protonmail.com or contact Diconzine on social media. This panel was chaired by Kay Stevens. Kay is a cultural worker specialising in oral history and co-founder of Daikon, a zine and collective for Southeast and East Asian women, non-binary and all trans people. So this panel is going to focus on how migrant workers organise against exploitative working conditions um, and the intersections of racism, sexism and state violence. Um, we'll never know the full stories of the 39 people at the back of the lorry, but we do know based on migration histories, such as those shared by a previous panel, that they were likely coming to the UK to work and improve their conditions. Had they survived, they would have likely become undocumented workers. They would have faced the compounded effects of an exploitative exploitative economic system and a border regime that strips them of social and economic rights solely on the basis of their nationality and lack of citizenship. Migrants in such precarious conditions are constantly agitating and mobilising to improve their condition. In this panel we want to explore the actual issues oh. yeah, actual issues migrant workers are facing um, and their strategies for resistance, situating those in the context of hostile law and law enforcement and immigration policy. Um, so first up we're going to hear from Amina from SWARM which is the Sex Workers Advocacy Resistance Movement. Um, it's a UK based workers collective that advocates for the labour rights and well-being of sex workers. Um, Amina Dijon is on the board of SWARM with years of experience working in East Asia and Europe. Um, so yeah, um, over to you. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for introducing me. So I am an organizer with SWARM, which, um, as was said, is a sex workers advocacy and resistance movement here in the UK. Um, my particular areas of interest are migrant sex workers and the experiences that um, migrants specifically have to go through. Um, I'm also on the board of TAMPEP, which is a EU-wide network, particularly um, for migrant sex workers um, as SWARM. We work with migrant sex workers, but it's not migrant specific, whereas TAMPEP is migrant specific. Um, so before getting into what we do as SWARM, I wanna give a little background information around the legislation and laws in the UK um, surrounding sex work and prostitution. So sex for money and prostitution um, is essentially legal within the UK with the exception of Northern Ireland. So you can trade sex for money legally. However, outdoor solicitation, um, putting a card up in the phone box, um, and particularly working in a brothel is illegal, or managing a brothel is illegal. It's important to note that 
Brothel keeping can be defined as two workers working together for safety. So let's say my friend and I, we want to work together just to have somebody to call on, just to feel more safe. That's considered a brothel. We can be charged as brothel keepers. So the only way to work legally as a sex worker in the UK is to work alone, indoors, by yourself, which is obviously incredibly dangerous. Um, so it's estimated by NSWP that 70% of sex workers in Britain are migrants, and out of that, most migrant sex workers either work outdoors or in a brothel, which means that they are working in some illegal capacity. So because of the way that migrant sex workers tend to lack certain facilities, such as um, accommodation is quite hard in Britain, as well as language differences, cultural differences, it just makes it a lot easier to work in a brothel, even if somebody else is managing it. Um, it's just easier to give somebody a portion of your money and work for that, or have a friend, or have some sense of community where you're working rather than just work alone in this different country. Um, so we established that working legally as a sex worker is already hard, but for migrant sex workers, there's also an added layer of labor laws and restrictions. So even if you come to the UK and you have the right to work, that doesn't mean you have the right to necessarily be a sex worker. Um, if you come as a tourist visa, you overstay, obviously you don't have that right to work. Um, there's a number of legal stipulations that make it a lot harder for migrant sex workers, especially if they are asylum seekers or undocumented. You add on another layer of e illegal activity that they're, you know, they're forced to participate in. So where does SWARM fit into this? So we organize for a lot of different causes and a lot of different methods within the UK. Um, so just another background information, Ireland and Northern Ireland, as, many, as well as many countries around Europe and the world have adopted something called the Nordic model. And this is where they criminalize sex buyers and pimps very, very heavily. And on the surface level, it sounds great, but it's actually very detrimental to particularly migrant sex workers. Um, this legislation or this model came along in the late 1990s in Sweden because they saw an uptick of migrant sex workers, particularly black Western African or West African and Eastern European sex workers working on the streets in Sweden. And to get rid of them, they proposed, let's criminalize um, the clients. So if you have less clients, or if you have less clientele, men who are willing to buy sex from you, you have less money. You also take more risks, and this puts them in even a more vulnerable position. Countries like Sweden that have adopted this have actually deported more sex workers after this law has come around, and they say it's for rescue, but we know in actuality it's just a way to ethnically cleanse, really, um, migrant women, for migrant sex workers from working there. Um, particularly, I wanted to note in France, um, there's a recent demonstration going on with Strauss, which is a migrant sex worker collective or organization. And this is on the back of the 10th sex worker murdered in France over the past 12 months. And France has a Nordic model, which is just what I was discussing. And out of these 10 workers who have been murdered in the past 10 months, 
Um, three have been Chinese. Um, I know still Roses, which is a Chinese-French um, sex worker rights movement. They've been campaigning a lot around this, and there have been quite a lot from South America as well. Um, trans women, um, mostly migrants, are really facing the brunt of this legislation. So with SWARM, we advocate for full decriminalization, obviously, but we also keep in mind that there are other nuances and other issues that's going to impact sex workers that are migrants that aren't just based off of prostitution laws. So um, something more recently that has also happened was in Ireland, there's th where they have the Nordic model, they have two Romanian sex workers um, just last year who were charged with brothel keeping. And this is, again, they were working together for safety, but they were charged as if they were traffickers or pimps, and one was pregnant, they were put into jail, and I can't recall whether they were deported or whether they willingly, willingly went back to Romania, but it's quite a sad story because it's obvious that the people that they're going after are the most vulnerable um, migrants that they say they're protecting, but they're not. Um, so Swarm, we raised thousands of pounds, really, to just give to them, um, to help them with their new life. Um, it was mostly for a legal defense fund at the beginning, but I think they went back, so. Um, something else that Swarm has campaigned around was, in 2016, there were these raids in Soho, and these raids particularly impacted the East Asian sex work community um, working at massage parlors. And something notable about these raids were that the police invited the press. They marched these sex workers out in their underwear on the streets of Soho. They robbed them of the wages that they earned that day, and they claimed that it was for rescue. But seeing that more sex workers in these raids were deported than traffickers were penalized shows that it was an immigration raid from the start. And Swarm and the English Collective of Prostitutes really tried to get press around this so we can raise the awareness about what's happening because the press and you know the mainstream people were just told that they were being taken to safeguarding or something, but really they were just taken to Yarlswood. So obviously they don't care about what happens to um, sex workers. And basically what I want to end this note on is that I hope that I can learn from everybody else in this panel, but as was kind of brought up before in the earlier panel, I hope that we can understand that we live in a dichotomy of choice versus force, not only when it comes to migrants, but when it comes to sex workers as well. And that's not how labor works, that's not how anything in life works. Um, most things are in this gray area in between, and to move past that, we need to stop patronizing and infantilizing, particularly migrant women, um, as if they have no agency over their own lives, but as well as amplify their voices to find out what they need the most. So thank you very much, and I'm excited to hear from everybody else. Thank you so much. Um, I think it's really important, the point you made at the end, like, um, and to think about how the state um, couches like certain policies in the language of like rescue or care or protection but actually whether that's like migrant sex workers or just migrant workers in general um, that 
those supposedly like protective policies are actually harmful and lead to deportation and detention and um, further violence. So, yeah, thank you. Um, so next up, um, we have Marigold Belkin from um, Voice of Domestic Workers, um, which is a self-help grassroots organisation made up of multinational migrant domestic workers in the UK that aims to improve their living and working conditions. Um, Marigold will speak about some of the issues facing domestic workers in the UK, um, how visa and immigration policies make it difficult for domestic workers, and how um, voices, uh, Voice of Domestic Workers navigates anti-trafficking policies. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Marigold. I'm the spokesperson of Voice of Domestic Workers a self-help group run by migrant domestic workers campaigning for rights and welfare in the UK. The Voice of Domestic Workers was established in March 2009. It was already 11 years old. We provide IT computer class, English class, and skills training like first aid training and livelihood. There are migrant domestic workers who come to Unite the Union where we hold our activities every Sunday to learn there are those who need help and support. Many would contact us through call and Facebook, and we go wherever they work and rescue them from abusive employer. And we shelter them temporarily. They found us through word of mouth, social media, and we give cards to park with messages. We are here to help, translated in different languages. The voice of domestic workers may be able to support them in many ways, like sheltering, providing food, traveling allowance to find their job, get new passport, educate them, but not under visa status. In 2012, the government has removed all the rights of migrant domestic worker, including his right to change employer, renew to visa, right to settlement, and right to citizenship. However, through lobbying and campaigning, during the Modern Slavery Act review in 2015, the modern slavery, we managed to restore the right to change employer but not allowing domestic workers to renew their visa that made us all undocumented. All domestic workers in the UK since 2012, with the absence of right to renew visa, their only option before they, their visa expiry is to apply in the national referral mechanism a mechanism that assess domestic workers that help identify if they are potential victims of modern slavery or trafficking. If a domestic worker applies before visa expiry and pass, she could keep her right to work and continue her leave to remain until conclusive brown decision. If a domestic worker applied after her visa expiry, she loses her right to work. For me, I'm one of the example of worker with no right to work. I was escaped um, it was 2013 when I escaped from my abusive employer due to the reason that they brought me here. I thought I just only work for them, but they, I work with three families. I have no proper accommodations. I sleep in a, you know, in a cold floor like where, where the, uh, it's a basement with where I hold the ironing, the washing and everything. Sometimes they didn't also uh, feed me like I need to steal some, some food in them. Um, they, they didn't give me all, they didn't pay, pay my salary. I started working 6 a.m. in the morning until 3 o'clock in the morning. So for me, it's very 
for me it's too much. I left them because I cannot bear the way they treated me. When I escaped, I thought it was gonna be an easy for me, but I was put in a vulnerable position. I became undocumented. And then, you know, I was subjected to bullying, harassment, exploitation because of my immigration status. And there's always been the bar hydrants. I, they always this one, uh, they use this one to threaten me because of my immigration status. And after that, it was 2018 when immigration enforcer came to our house. I, um, they brought me to Beckett House. When uh, the immigration enforcer, you know, speak to me and then he told me, tell me the reason why we didn't detain you. I said to them, am I a criminal that you should detain me? And then, did I commit any crime? And then I asked them, and then, I told them, it is a crime to run away from your abusive employer who exploited you, who, who treat you like a slave. And then, you know, the immigration enforcer didn't talk and said, this is the time he started asking me questions about what happened to me. And then I told, I told the immigration enforcer, this is, this is really what happened to me because I was exploited by my employer. And then I told her, Okay, do you want to go to the national referral mechanism? And then I told the immigration enforcer, do I have any choice? If I don't go to the national referral mechanism, you're going to detain me or report me. Even I don't, I don't like the idea of going to the national referral mechanism, I accept it because I've seen my fellow domestic workers undergone stress, you know, mentally, emotionally. So, and I don't want that to, you know, the same i don't want to experience the same that what happened to me now i don't know what you know i live in uncertainty whatever whatever the decision because you know what they're not allowed me to work that at the same time they let me live you know 35 pounds a week with five pounds a day so how can you live like that all i want is to work and feed my family home so until now i was waiting for the final decision what really happened to me to me currently i'm reporting to the home office every two weeks with no idea when is the conclusive ground decision will be given would i given a positive or a negative but i continue to help my fellow domestic workers to share my story others could be aware and help the voice of domestic worker to campaign the right to change employer and citizenship we were launching our campaign on uh, April in the House of Common, who's by Bill, um, Jess Phillips. We want to recognize as a workers, not as a traffic victim. It is important also that we are, uh, we are campaigning to ratify the ILO Convention 189, Decent Work for Domestic Workers. We continue to be visible in society so everybody value our work. Without domestic workers, how could others do their work? Domestic work is work, and domestic workers are workers. Decent work begins at home. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing. Um, okay. The next uh, speaker is Maritza. Um, who is um, 
the chair of the University of London branch of the IWGV, which stands for the Independent Workers' Union of Great Britain. The IWGB has its roots in representing precarious migrant workers and is fighting and winning rights for outsourced workers and workers in the gig economy. Um, we're going to hear from Maritza about how outsourced migrant workers are organising the particular issues that migrant workers face and how immigration policy affects migrant worker organising. Eh, gracias a todos, gracias por invitarme a este panel a hablar acerca de pues, que tiene como tema la inmigración. Mi nombre es Maritza Castillo, yo soy la presidenta de la rama de la Universidad de Londres y también soy organizadora, la cual tenemos en, nuestra, en mi rama, tenemos casi como 700 miembros, la cual son la mayoría emigrantes. 700. Hi, my name is Maritza Casillo-Cayen. I'm the head of the uh, University of London branch of the IWGB. Uh, and in our branch of the union, we have almost 700 uh, yes. workers. Yo trabajé en el sector de la limpieza, y la cual he vivido muchísimos problemas, tanto como abusos laborales, discriminación, explotación, eh, también racismo y no solamente yo sino mis compañeros también vivieron todo este tipo de problemas por eso fueron los motivos la cual me uní un sindicato uh, so uh, I started off working as a cleaner um, that was an area of work in which I experienced a lot of abuse uh, intimidation bullying in the workplace um, and I saw that many of my colleagues had the same experience these were the main reasons that I got involved with the union and started organizing. En, en el sector que trabajamos en los hoteles que pertenecen a la Universidad de Londres, eh, la compañía eh, no nos pagaba por tres meses, había mucha explotación, sobre todo para las mujeres embarazadas, eh, les daba mucho trabajo, las iban a trabajar con productos muy fuertes. Uh, so I worked cleaning uh, university residences, halls of residence uh, in University of London universities. Um, the company uh, that we worked for didn't pay us for three months. They were also, um, uh, they, they exploited uh, the workers, especially pregnant women, who they would make uh, work in shocking conditions uh, using chemicals that could have been harmful to their babies. Amen. Llevamos un tiempo por tres meses que no cobramos el dinero, por eso decidimos nosotros hacer una huelga no oficial, la cual esta era muy peligrosa porque para nosotros que nos podían echar, pero sin embargo nosotros eh, hicimos esa huelga era por recuperar nuestro salario y después, o sea, aparte de, de después de esta huelga nosotros recuperamos los tres meses que la compañía nos, nos había pagado. So after three months with no pay, we decided to organize an unofficial strike, which was an incredibly risky measure, um, considering the consequences that could have followed. Uh, but as it happened, we were able to uh, um, get companies pay for those three months. Eh, luego también nos dimos cuenta que el salario era muy bajo en ese tiempo, en el 2001, cuando empezamos todo esto, que en ese tiempo era 6,15 y esto pues no nos alcanzaba para pagar la renta, que aquí la vida es muy cara y decidimos eh, hacer protestas para lograr el London, London Living Way en este país, 
que en ese tiempo era 6,15 y luego pues ganamos que a 8,80. Okay, so uh, after the initial um, unofficial strike, which was back in 2001, we realized that our salary was actually very low. It was £6.15 per hour. So we started to organize and protest um, in order to uh, be paid the London living wage, which at the time was £7.15. Uh, we eventually managed to increase the pay to £8.80 per hour. Después de, de todo esto, nos dimos cuenta que trabajando y uniéndose y luchando juntos se puede lograr muchas cosas y comencé a hablar con mis compañeros, a organizarlos para lograr nuestros términos y condiciones mejores y luego de todo esto de, de reclutar a mis compañeros decidimos lanzar la campaña Tres Cosas que demandaba pago por una enfermedad, más días de vacaciones y una pensión. Después de, de, de hacer huelgas, protestas, eh, después de dos días de huelga, eh, logramos que la universidad nos, die, nos dé eh, pago por enfermedad, más días de vacaciones y una pensión, porque esto era los trabajadores que trabajan directamente en la universidad tienen todo este tipo, pero sin embargo los trabajadores que trabajan eh, para las compañías subcontratadas no, no tienen mucho de los. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, okay, so after After the initial victory, we realized the power of organizing, so we started to uh, speak to our colleagues um, and recruit people, just, um, started to unionize. Uh, the result of that was the Tres Cortas campaign, so three things, campaigns, we were fighting for uh, holiday pay, uh, pensions, and sick pay. Uh, holiday, sorry, rather than holiday pay. Um, so then, Uh, with another round of strikes and protests, we were able to um, win these concessions from from the university, um, and these were, of course, things that uh, the direct employees of the university already enjoyed. Um, these benefits, that is. So, um, yeah, we were able to to win another big victory after the initial unofficial strike in 2001 that started the campaign. Esta, esta campaña fue muy significativa tanto para nosotros como el sindicato como para los trabajadores porque logramos sacar a, a cientos de trabajadores a la huelga que eran unos trabajadores invisibles, que estaban llenos de miedo y difícil de organizarlos y porque esos trabajadores antes no tenían pago por enfermedad, no tenían una pensión adecuada, no tenían más días de vacaciones, sin embargo, los trabajadores que trabajan directamente para la universidad tienen todo este tipo, tienen pago por enfermedad, tienen una pensión muy buena, tienen más días de vacaciones. Esto fue muy significativo y les, les dio como un poder a los trabajadores de, se, de seguir luchando por más condiciones. Uh, this was a very big symbolic victory for all the workers um, who before had been practically invisible, they'd been scared, intimidated, they'd been working with these really shocking exploitative conditions, uh, while their colleagues who were directly employed by the university um, had all kinds of benefits that they didn't have. Um, and the fact that we were able to get hundreds of workers out on strike uh, was the beginning of uh, a big realization for lots of them that they had the power to fight back. Eh, después de esto comencé a organizar en otros lugares de trabajo también 
para, lo, para campañas para lograr un mejor salario como el London Living Ways. Y después de, de todo esto, en esta Universidad de Londres inicié la campaña in-house, para la cual demandaba para terminar con la subcontratación y que todos los trabajos, trabajadores trabajen directamente para la universidad y tengan los mismos términos y condiciones igual que los trabajadores que trabajan directo para la universidad. Sobre todo, lo más importante es terminar con las empresas subcontratadoras porque sabemos que, que estas empresas lo único que vienen es a explotar a los trabajadores. Después de de dos años luchando, haciendo protestas, huelgas y boicots también, eh, al final logramos nuestra victoria, que los trabajadores trabajen directamente para la Universidad de Londres. Ok, so after, after the initial victories, I started organizing in other areas, we started pushing for more salary increases, and most importantly we started the in-house campaign to end outsourcing completely, and to demand that the universities give outsourced workers the same terms and conditions or well, to bring them in-house to employ them directly because we know that these third-party companies are incredibly exploitative even when they, they change company, they just, uh, it doesn't matter which company happens to be working with the university, they're all as bad as each other and so the important thing is direct employment. Des, después de, de todo esto, inicié otra campaña en la Universidad de UCL, que hay muchísimos trabajadores inmigrantes, la cual tienen mucho más, muchísimos problemas, tantos abusos laborales como explotación. En esta empecé la campaña eh, hace como un mes, en diciembre, después de hacer huelgas, protestas, en un mes la universidad decidió dar... Eh, eh, más días de vacaciones, subirles el salario y pagarles pago por enfermedad ahora en junio. Todo esto pues, ha sido gracias a la lucha y a la unión de los trabajadores que han tenido la fuerza de salir a luchar, porque estos trabajadores, como digo, eran trabajadores invisibles, llenos de miedo, porque no eran sindicalizados y ahora están sindicalizados y ahora tienen la más fuerza porque tienen el apoyo del sindicato. Pero no solamente es esto lo que hemos ganado, lo que hemos ganado es el respeto y la dignidad en el lugar de trabajo. Okay, so something I just forgot to mention before was with that uh, initial campaign to end outsourcing, there were some initial victories uh, Senate House Library. Uh, off the back of that, in uh, uh, recently we started a campaign at UCL to bring cleaners, porters, and security staff in-house. Um, so far we've had two strikes, one in October, November, one in December. Um, and so far, with uh, the impacts of strikes, which were huge, uh, we were able, we've been able to win some concessions like uh, some salary increases and uh, sick pay from June, um, which again is a massive symbolic victory. All these workers who have been invisible for the majority of their, their careers, certainly the majority of their time in London now have union support and uh, now feel much more uh, empowered to carry on fighting for direct employment. Bueno, y nosotros seguimos con la campaña en UCL con esos trabajadores hasta terminar con la subcontratación y que todos los trabajadores trabajen directamente para la universidad porque 
estos trabajadores son los que más sufren eh, eh, tanto discriminación por el inglés como por abusos laborales. Nosotros vamos a seguir hasta que terminar con todo este tipo de, pro de problemas, hasta que los trabajadores sean valorados por el trabajo que hacen. Muchas gracias por la invitación, Abraham. Muchas gracias. So uh, the UCL campaign is ongoing, we're going to carry on fighting until all of the workers are employed directly uh, because, as we've said, these workers are the ones who suffer uh, the most in terms, of, uh, in terms of pay, in terms of benefits, in terms of workplace harassment, in terms of um, discrimination based on uh, lack of uh, English language skills. Uh, so thank you very much for having me today. It's been a pleasure to speak to you and uh, yeah, thank you to Nosotros, como tenemos la mayoría de migrantes, son los que sufren más discriminación, esos trabajadores, porque sobre todo es por el inglés, eh, muchos también hay un poco de racismo por, por su color, porque tenemos la mayoría que son parte de, de Sudáfrica, de otros países, y son los que más sufren y son súper difíciles de organizar a estos trabajadores, porque como digo, son trabajadores invisibles, tienen miedo, son eh, amenazados por, por, por los managers de estas compañías y, y creo que estos tipos de emigrantes son los que más sufren de esta entidad. We, is, we, we have workers from Latin America, we also have workers from, from Africa, from the Caribbean, and so there's all kinds of, of uh, discrimination at play. Um, that also means that they, they have very little confidence to organize, uh, which means that they tolerate abusive managers, um, and all kinds of other workplace abuses. I think it's, it's their immigration status, obviously, that um, is the root of the, the lack of confidence that uh, prevents them from, from organizing themselves uh, and so I guess that's how immigration status plays into 
um, my experience of, of organising. Um, this is a question of uh, Alina and Mary. Um, I think um, what kind of sorry, um, yeah, what came out of both of um, your talks was um, this kind of idea of um, like res re rescue denying kind of agency of um, workers and. Work, your work being recognised as work. Um, I was wondering, um, because obviously uh, rescue that comes from the state is, is violent and um, harmful to migrant workers, um, uh, but Mary did talk a bit about like how maybe there's a different kind of rescue in the, the way that Voice of Domestic Workers operates. and. Um, obviously there are people who need to leave what their work sometimes and how, yeah, what's a kind of good way of thinking about rescue or like aid or, um, that's what I wanted to ask you both. Thank you for the question. Most of the domestic workers that we rescue because sometimes I think they, some of them are found us on Facebook or word by mouth so we rescue them by sometimes not just only you need to take a lot of patience because it's just not one day oh i want to run away from my employer no sometimes we have these things that you know we need to wait three days you know you have to monitor how she's gonna you know uh, uh run away from her employer so sometimes the only thing that access her was you know she's still the she stole the wi-fi you know Wi-Fi password to the employer because how can she contact? She don't have you know the SIM number. So sometimes, um, the, the time that the, this lady was, the, she wants to run away. We manage to, can you tell her where you are so that we will know where you are? And then you know what we put in a gar uh, at night she throw a uh, garbage. So we put a SIM card and that beside that garbage so that we can uh, we can uh, reach her because sometimes maybe if she go out and then we don't have access anymore because she is not connected already to the Wi-Fi. That's the one example how we help them. That's all, thank you. Um, so I think it's interesting you ask about rescue because within um, sex worker prostitution, uh, we call the anti, I guess, trafficking um, organizations, they kind of dub themselves as the rescue industry. But the issue with that is that they often don't provide work or any solution. Oh, did you want to get the mic? Hello. Uh, yeah? Mm, so like it's still buzzing. I'm saying that to you, is it? Hey, um, Amina. Yeah. Okay, I'll just switch this off. Um, as I was saying, these rescue industries, they don't offer any solution as to how a migrant who sometimes is undocumented or might be an asylum seeker or might have limited labor rights is going to make enough money to send back to their family um, home to, you know, find housing in Britain, specifically London, 
um, sometimes to pay back smugglers. It's just, this isn't thought about. It's often done from an emotional basis, which is understandable, but if somebody says they want to leave sex work or prostitution, I think that we should help them, but I also think that um, as a society and as organizations that care about human rights, we should make these avenues to where migrants, specifically migrant women who have, you know, are going to face racism, are going to face issues with language, can realistically make enough money to leave easily. Um, and I also think we should rely on sources like inside of communities that these you know, that certain migrants might come from. I think when we have the trafficked narrative, we also kind of frame people within that community also as perpetrators of trafficking, you know, whether they be brown, black, or Asian men or women, we frame them as the person doing the harm and as these white organizations coming in to save them. But I think in actuality, we should work with um, communities that people are involved with to understand cultural nuances, language nuances, to be able to help them um, gain employment that they'd like to gain if they'd like to leave sex work. Um, this one is for Marigold. Um, I was just wondering if ever there was any legal intervention for the people um, that are holding domestic workers against their will. Because um, I know the 2015 Modern Slavery Act has kind of changed that by un understand that there are also limitations. Yeah, well, with the new system, because it was 2015 when uh, I think uh, the Modern Slavery Review Act, it was James Ewing, because the government uh, uh, was the one who uh, asked James Ewing to take the review on domestic workers. And the government at the time promised if whatever the recommendation of James Ewing and that and that review because it's about uh, how a domestic worker tied to her employer because once you tie to your employer you cannot change employer that's after 2012 so but the thing is the government didn't fulfill their promise they just you know let it go so until that time it um, it become more the, the domestic workers become more put in a vulnerable position like i said immigration status always been the barrier sometimes even we have these members that you know he's already she's already undocumented her employer didn't pay for her whole week's uh, one month salary when she reported to the police the police called the home office and then the home office instead of helping the lady they you know they detained her so this is gonna be you know this is they put in something a vulnerable position that they cannot do anything anything so sometimes of course we would we are there to help them step up like uh, finding them the solicitor like atleo will be you know helping us to the anti-labor exploitation unit was the one who you know intervened doing these things because it's not you know inhuman why they're treating like that the domestic workers Eh, nosotros en estas campañas hemos tenido muchísima gente que nos ha apoyado, sobre todo estudiantes eh, que se han unido a nosotros, pero ahora nosotros, por ejemplo, los emigrantes, ahora lo que ellos tienen miedo, pero si ven gente 
que les apoya, por ejemplo, como estudiantes, ellos como que se motivan más, tienen más seguridad, que tienen más gente que los apoya, pero nosotros lo que necesitamos es, por ejemplo, como yo organizadora, he iniciado muchas campañas en, de, to, de diferentes clases, nosotros lo que necesitamos es que se unan a nuestras luchas para que vean, porque no solamente es contar, sino hay que ver que hay muchos abusos laborales y nosotros necesitamos luchar y, por ellos para que tengan mejores condiciones, es un Uniéndose en nuestras campañas, nosotros publicamos en las redes sociales, los eventos, las protestas y si quieren involucrarse en nuestra campaña, por ejemplo, en las universidades, eh, nos pueden contactar y todo esto, pero es muy importante que nos apoyen en nuestras campañas. Ok, so we've had a lot of student support um, ever since we've started our, our campaign, especially uh, our most recent ones, and that obviously, that helps an incredible amount with Uh, helping these workers to feel visible and to feel like they have the power to fight back. So um, the more the more of that, the better. Uh, in my experience of organizing, um, it's that's that's been one of the most important um, ways in which uh, people can show solidarity uh, and also to to recognize and acknowledge workplace abuse, harassment, uh, wherever wherever it exists. Um, so. To that end, we've got lots of we've got a presence on social media. We've got lots of uh, events that you can come along to, protests and strikes, uh, and you can contact us through uh, through um, as I said, social media uh, pages, uh, through university groups that we've got as well. Uh, so yeah, any, any kind of any kind of involvement like that would be much appreciated. Um, at the moment, one thing, a few things I can think about. Swarm is having a phone drive, I believe. We're collecting used cell phones or phones that you don't need anymore um, to give to sex workers who are more marginalized or more, more vulnerable in a way they can't afford a second cell phone. So if you want to donate, if you have a phone laying around, it doesn't have to be like the newest model ever. If you want to donate it, you can go and contact us. Um, we're also involved with the sex worker strike, which is March 8th, which is a part of the larger women's strike. So if you're at the women's strike, then I suppose you can go and show solidarity with that movement. Yeah. One more question, if anyone has. Uh, okay, two more. I'll take two. Um, Nick, do you want to? Is that you? Yeah, you can go first, and then the next person who's just. Okay. Uh, all of you talked about uh, experiences of intimidation and discrimination, and how that ties into both insecure immigration status and them not speaking, the workers not speaking the language. Um, I'm wondering uh, what are the ways of or in your experience, what have been a ways of empowering workers who don't speak English as well to resist in the workplace? And whether there could possibly be things that could be done on the employer side to ameliorate the situation a bit? Bueno, esa es una barrera muy grande, el idioma. Eso es lo que más tenemos problemas y abusos laboral, eh, por parte de discriminación por las compañías. Eh, bueno, pero 
la verdad que, que no es, para mí no ha sido una barrera el inglés, porque utilizo traductor y todo eso, pero las compañías, muchas de ellas eh, hablan eh, español e inglés, pero sin embargo siguen explotando a sus trabajadores y muchos de ellos a veces... Eh, los trabajadores inmigrantes no saben nada de inglés. Muchas de las compañías, por ejemplo, nosotros hemos tenido un caso, muchos casos que, que les hacen firmar papeles y, y sin embargo son papeles que están firmando su contrato de renuncia. Entonces eso es por, por los trabajadores que no saben el inglés. Y nosotros, eh, por ejemplo, yo organizo clases de inglés para darles a los trabajadores para que sepan de aprendan más inglés para que no se dejen eh, discriminar por parte de las compañías. Yo pienso que las de compañías están, están teniendo, pues, eh, es un problema muy grave que discriminen a, los, a sus trabajadores y también pienso que las compañías deberían como ofrecer más eh, como traductores para, para ellos, tener un traductor específico en cada sitio de lugar para que les traduzcan los, a eso, porque es una discriminación, porque es un trabajo de migrantes que hacen un trabajo aquí en Londres para la, el sector de la limpieza. Okay. Sorry. No, sorry. So much. <laughs> so, uh, so companies definitely should offer linguistic support, they should provide translators um, and all the rest of it, but obviously, or perhaps unsurprisingly, they haven't been, um, because in terms of uh, exploitation, it just, it just helps them. Uh, the language barrier is very useful for them. Uh, it takes advantage of workers who arrive with little to no knowledge of English, uh, makes them sign things that they don't understand. Uh, but also it's important to note that there are also um, Spanish-speaking managers and employees of these companies who, who also uh, are the ones bullying and exploiting their colleagues. So it's a really, um, it's a really complicated issue, obviously. Um, with the union, we've organized language classes Um, so we're, we're doing everything we can to try and um, get over this language barrier, but as you can imagine, it's one of the biggest obstacles that we're facing, and the companies don't really have an incentive to, um, to make it any easier for their workers while they continue uh, with these exploitative practices. Um, so in the past, we've worked with United Voice, or We've worked with unions like United Voices of the World to kind of give more, I guess, rights to workers who work in legal spaces, such as like strip clubs. But also we've tried to do English lessons in the past, which I think we're starting up again, um, as well as Know Your Rights flyers, which are in a variety of languages. But to be completely honest, I think it's quite hard to um, do sometimes organize Because besides language differences, if you're a migrant sex worker, you're not necessarily going to identify with being a sex worker. Like that's a very kind of academic term. Like you're just probably going to just be in the country, want to make as much money as possible and leave. You're not going to necessarily identify with the sex worker <coughs> rights movement. So we find that sometimes communities tend to be inclusive. I think, you know, sometimes maybe for a good reason. But all we can, I guess, really do is keep trying. And as I said, know your rights flyers. Um, a brothel manager is not going to really care or want their workers to know their rights. So again, um, this is something that is difficult. But I think it's important we try to be as inclusive 
as possible. Well, for us, the domestic worker, we educate them in terms of whatever their legal status, you are undocumented or you are legal, legal in this country. The thing is, when you negotiate to your employer, you need to, you need to, supposed to be your bank holiday, the hours, how long do you work, or it is per hour, or it's a weekly, you know, we, we, we educate them this, this how long the hours they work and everything, because it's really important that they don't, you know, abuse them. So we need to empower this domestic worker also by doing this. And as about the English class, we offer, of course, those um, domestic workers um, education English class for them so that sometimes when they negotiate with their employer, they know how to stand and become the voice of their own rights. So thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not sure we have time for your question, but maybe if the panelists don't mind, you could chat afterwards, because um, we, we have quite a short lunch break, so um, I'm really sorry about that. Just quickly, have one thing. Yeah. Yeah, just, just remember that we've mentioned social media pages and stuff, but I haven't actually given the names of those uh, social media pages. So if you search uh, IWGB on Facebook, there's a, there's a, there are pages for the UCL campaign, there's the, the central IWGB page as well. So um, yeah, just to bear that in mind. Yeah, um, thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening and to our wonderful speakers, Maritza, Amina and Marigold for joining us. We'd like to take this opportunity to encourage listeners who are able to, to donate to one or all of the following COVID-19 hardship funds for the groups represented in this podcast, which are SWARM, the Sex Worker Advocacy and Resistance Movement, IWGB, Independent Workers of Great Britain, and VODW, Voices of Domestic Workers. We've put the link to these fundraising campaigns in the show notes. These groups have been hit particularly hard by the crisis, so if you're unable to donate, you could still support them by sharing with people who can. Thank you to Chad and Rosa at Rainbow Collective for recording the event and the Outside Project for hosting us. Remember the Essex 39 sanctions.